From time to time, uh, I do uh, reading outside of my theological reading, and it takes me into the, sometimes the scientific world or the archaeological world and uh, everything that leads into uh, what we do in our ministry. And a few weeks ago, I started reading uh, scientific papers relating to the essential ingredients of life as the scientist sees it, as the researcher sees it. And um, what I've compiled here for you this morning is what I have put together from reading what science says about the essential ingredients of life. The title of this message is Christ is Everything. And the scripture I would like to just use as a springboard this morning is in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. <coughs> Excuse me. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In him was life. In him was life. Christ is everything. So as I draw the parallel today uh, from the scriptures, I'll balance it with what science has determined, if you will. Science says that there are approximately 10 essentials for human life to assist, exist. 10 essentials, and they call them. And uh, we will deal not with 10 this morning, we will deal with eight of those 10. Because I, do, I don't want you to leave on me, all right? And the other two are quite inconsequential. The academic community has concluded that these essential ingredients are necessary to sustain life. The list varies, and we have chosen eight this morning. The narrative of the message is that each essential for life is found in God through Christ. In this example, think of a cartwheel, the old-fashioned cartwheel that we don't see very often with the big uh, cast iron uh, rim, and then the, in this case, eight spokes going into a hub. Well, each spoke is a, is a, a scientific essential, if you will, and for us, it's paralleled in the Word of God, and it goes into the hub, Jesus Christ. Everything is entered and centered in Christ. Christ is everything. So in this example, we see that. Central to the hub is Christ. Everything is represented in him. Number one, science says, the prerequisite for life, the most important thing that we can have is breath. We have to be able to breathe air. Science tells us we have three minutes 
and maybe six if we're really athletic and our lungs are developed to live without a breath. Not only do we need air, we need clean air. The Bible tells us that the holy breath of God in Genesis breathed into man and man became a living soul. So the breath that primed your lungs is still the breath of God that was given to sustain life, yes? And the moment it came, it carried us as long as an infant breathes till its last days until it's finally taken and we return to God our maker. In Genesis chapter 2, 7, the Lord God formed man and breathed into him the breath of life and man became a living soul. In Acts chapter 17, 25, the scripture says, and he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. So we're tracking with science. We don't always agree with science and science doesn't always agree with itself. Science has had to backtrack many times and they're not finished backtracking yet. We know from how they interpret many things. But on this, they're right. We cannot live without breath. But that breath is from God himself through Jesus Christ. Christ is our breath. Job declares it in 33 verse 4, the Spirit of God hath made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Wow, Job knew, didn't he? And he continued in the next chapter, 34, 14, and 15. If he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh should perish together, and man would return to dust. Number two, science says, we need Sleep. We need sleep. You can't go very long without sleep. Travel with Shirley and myself sometimes, and we get out of bed uh, here at maybe 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning to go for an early flight out of Dublin that might depart at 7, we'll say. And we'll fly 14 or 15 hours in over the Middle East or down into Asia, and then change planes and fly somewhere else like we just did a few weeks ago. And before we got into bed on the other end, we had been up and awake and traveling for about 46 hours. And then, of course, your ministry's already kicked off on the other end. So how's everybody after a 46-hour uh, flight? And, and sometimes they'll say to me, John, it's nice to have you back. Did you have a good holiday? And so we need rest, don't we? Well, anyhow, uh, the Bible talks about sleep too. The specialists tell us we have three or four days uh, without sleep until our body starts to um, slow down, until we start to show signs of deteriorating. And you know how it is. Have you ever been up for 48 hours in a row and watch how your reactions uh, Everything slows down. Your thinking slows down. The mental process, your driving, your everything deteriorates. Um, in an article I was reading on um, recently from a court case in Los Angeles uh, in June of nineteen of um, two thousand and thirteen, 
an L.A. court heard that Michael Jackson died as a result of a number of things, but the, the greatest part of it was extended sleep deprivation, to quote the testimony in the court. Now, there were other contributing factors, but the man had not been able to sleep, and it eventually um, caught up to him. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3, God created the universe and then rested. Not that God was fatigued, but once he had done his work, he paused and rested. That's a good example for you and me. Scripture tells us in Mark chapter 6, 31, Jesus said to his disciples, come, come with me. Let's go into a quiet place and rest a while. One of the essentials of life in the natural is rest, sleep, for a healthy existence. And so it is in the spiritual sense. When we find Christ as our Savior and Lord, we can rest in the Lord. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The spiritual rest that Christ offers to us as believers is a rest that lets our body be healthy, lets our mind be healthy, lets our spirit rejoice, and we are healthier because of it. So in Christ we have rest. Psalm, the psalmist David spoke of it, and he said in chapter 4, In peace I will lay down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, help me or work with me to dwell in safety. The Lord is with us even in our sleep. The very last reference I have here for that is Psalm 127, when David declares, He gives his beloved sleep. It's a wonderful thing to go to bed exhausted and you wake up in the morning fresh and ready to hit the road. That's because you were allowed to have a good sleep and believers who trust in the Lord and are walking in fellowship with Lord will have that. Number four is light. Did I miss one? Yes, shelter. Number three is shelter. Scripture speaks about that as well. Now, science tells us that we need shelter, especially if we're living in extreme um, temperatures. Now, you're not living in extreme shelter uh, temperatures here, but you do need shelter. Uh, I wouldn't like to take the roof over, away from over your head here. You'd be shouting at me very quickly. It's too cold, it's too hot, it's too much sun, too much wind, too something, right? Uh, now, Canada, that's a different story. When I married my wife, she was coming from Saskatchewan. Well, now, Saskatchewan next to Siberia would be one of the very next coldest places on earth. And we lived in a province next to Saskatchewan, which was Alberta, and sometimes the temperature in the winter got to four, minus 45 Celsius. Hello? Do you know what that represents? You take a kettle of boiling water outside, boiling water, and you pour it out on the ground. And by the time the stream of water hits the ground, it's frozen as an icicle curved back up into the kettle. That's 45, minus 45 degrees Celsius. And so science says 
Number three, we need shelter. In certain circumstances, it may even take precedence over food or water because of, for instance, what we've just seen now with Hurricane Dorian down in, the, in Florida. Uh, people need shelter more than food. They need something to protect them. Food comes later, but in this case, we're talking about shelter. In Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 4, Isaiah declares, you are a shelter from the storm. The storms in life. And he's a shelter for us in that storm. We never know when a storm is going to blow up. Apart from a natural one, we never know when a spiritual one is going to grow up. All of a sudden, tragedy strikes somewhere. All of us have had that happen in our extended families sometime. It's where do we turn? People want to say, oh God, where do I go? He is a shelter in a time of storm. David declared in Psalm 46, God is our protection in times of trouble. He is our covering, our shelter. Do you know who he is today in relation to his shelter? Do you, can you run to him and be safe? Can you feel the protection of the living God, the Holy Spirit in your heart and life, in these relationships? Scientists said these are the essentials. In, in Jesus Christ, we have all of these essentials if we appropriate them to ourselves. Shelter. Number four, light. Science has concluded that all matter comes from light. Matter can only exist if we, if we have light. You take a plant, for instance, a healthy shrub in a pot. Take it and put it in the boot of your car for six weeks. And go back and take a look at it. Deprived of light... Life's gone, the energy's gone, the virility has gone, the bloom, the blossom has gone with light. Science makes a statement more categorical than I have made it. All matter comes from light. The planet would ultimately collapse without light, including all life. That's a scientific statement. Jesus said, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Everything changes with light. Uh, you can go to extreme circumstances with heavy winter night and dark, and all of a sudden your car breaks down, and what was illuminated before, and you were driving in brilliant headlights, now you're walking along a pitch black road. Everything changed in a moment when light disappears. A few years ago in the Philippines, uh, the pastor said to me one Sunday night, he said, John, there's been a terrible mistake somehow in your schedule. Um, the man that I put this coming week's meetings in his hands, he dropped the ball. And we don't have a meeting for you till next Friday. 
You're on your own. I'm going to take you to a little cabin. Well, he left the highway and uh, turned onto a secondary road, and then he left the secondary road, turned into a jungle trail that you could just see car treads. And he followed that for a long, long way. Pitch black, darkness of night. And a, a few minutes before we actually got there, he stopped and bought a, a little bag of something. I didn't ask him what it was or pay any attention until we were taking my cases into this little cabin. And he brought this paper bag in. And there was electricity periodically, on and off. But when we arrived, it was pitch black in the jungle. And I remember looking out, trying to look out through the little window in the cabin, and I could see nothing. It was just pitch black. But in morning, when the morning came, it was beautiful. The sun had risen. The jungle could look out into the South China Sea. It was, it was quite beautiful. Light changed everything. The, the little package he bought, incidentally, brown paper bag, had two bananas and a bottle of water, a two liters. And I took a pen and I drew a circle around the middle of the bottle of water. That would give me four days of water. And I drew it through the middle of the two bananas and that gave me a half a banana a day. And those were four of the most gorgeous and glorious days of my life. I never left the cabin. I just spent it with my Bible and prayer and on and on. And it was a wonderful time. But it was two bananas and a bottle of water. So as long as you have God with you, whether it's daylight or dark, he's there. So light is essential. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 9, we as believers, we have been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. Amen? He who sat in darkness saw a great light. What is that great light? That great light for you and me as believers this morning is Jesus Christ, the light of the world. What a joy it is to make an altar call uh, anywhere in the world, but especially when you're in, out in a field in the jungle somewhere and you've 500 people, sometimes four or 5,000, and you make an altar call after preaching about Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Jesus Christ, come to the altar, find Christ. And you watch them coming in their dozens and their dozens and their dozens. We preached in a country one time. And um, the meeting was on the, on the beach. And there were only women and children there. And later on, the fishermen arrived with their catch. And once they unloaded their boats, the fishermen came and joined the outside of the circle of the crowd at the open air. And that really doubled the crowd probably. But when the altar call was made, something very strange happened. It's never happened before or since. Immediately the altar call was made. The men who had arrived late were the first at the altar. Usually it's children and women. But the men led the way at that altar. After that, we went to a few, a few kilometers inland from the beach, 
to do another crusade. And when the team arrived, they said, um, no meeting, we've canceled it. The city fathers or the village elders, as they were, decided against it since it had been planned. And our men were trying to bully it and force it to happen because it was the meeting. And I got out of the vehicle and I said, what's wrong? And they said, well, and they were all uptight about that. And I said, just leave it. Don't worry about it. Let's go. And we left. About a year later, the tsunami that went through Asia went through that part where we had the beach meeting. And as the tsunami came in off the ocean to the beach where we had that crowd, the tsunami parted and went to either side of the village. Put yourself in your village and the tsunami is going to both sides of you, all right? It, it opened up. And when we came back two years later, I said, let's go to the beach where we had the meeting. And they said, Pastor, this is what happened. For several hundred yards, the tsunami just veered out and passed the village by. It came back in after it made land and took the other village out. And there was not one survivor in the inside village. And there was not one death on the beach village. That's the God we serve. He's the light of the world. 1 John 1, 5 to 9, verse 7 especially says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we believers, we shall have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanseth us from all sin. What a great scripture. Because he is the light. Christ, our light. When we have Christ, Remember, we have everything, not just the eight or ten essentials that science speaks about, but every area of your life is met by Jesus Christ. There is nothing that you need that is not found in Christ. Many years ago, I was teaching in Thailand. In Thailand, the culture seems to have... they. They respond to pictures, word pictures, in, a, in an unusual way. And one day I was teaching about several hundred pastors, probably five, six hundred pastors, and I came to a point just like this one. Christ is our everything. And in order to get the point across, I began to verbally build a picture of a huge... I'm going to call it a carvery for you, but a buffet or a smorgasbord, which means it has everything that anybody could need in food. And so I began to really, really dress the picture of this massive buffet that had every group of meats and vegetables and fruit and spice and desserts, and the table went forever. And I'd, I'd spent a lot of time putting it together verbally, 
And somebody rose up and walked to the table. And another and another. And believe it or not, about 60 or 70 people knew what they were doing, but they walked to a table and just raised their hands at the altar and said, I'm coming for what I need off this table. They got the message. You and I this morning don't need pictures to tell the story, do we? We can understand Scripture, and we know this morning that as believers, everything we need is in Christ. I'm reading a book at home. It's actually three books, three large books, but it's to, it's to do with Pentecost and the moving of the Holy Spirit from Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, until today. Incredible read. And it tells when you get into the, after the apostles are gone, second century, third century, fourth century, Pentecost didn't die. We knew Pentecost didn't die. But this book records it and does, has done the research and how people were laid by the Holy Spirit. The gifts were in ministry. Preachers would call issues out just like we do today. By revelation. The gift's still in operation. Fifth century, sixth century. St. Patrick. St. Patrick's mentioned in the book and the work that St. Patrick did and the moving he, he did in the Holy Spirit. Incredible stuff. He's everything. Christ is everything. There is nothing we need today as believers in him that he is not able to supply. Now, caution. There may be some cleaning up to do in our lives before that flow will flow. We may have to take some things out, some issues. There can be clogs in the pipe, just like you clean your kitchen drain once in a while when too much gets down it too quickly. Sometimes we have to clean things out when then the flow can come back. But he is able he has it. He's there to meet you today at the point of your need. How often we've seen God answer prayer. I was away up at the top of the Philippines one day, and I thought all I needed to do was walk into the travel agent and say, I need to get back to Manila. And she just looked at me and she said, yes, when would you like to go? And I said, like, tomorrow. Well, it's just small airlines, small flights, no big deal. And she said, I'm sorry, I haven't got a flight for three weeks. I said, what? I'm flying out of Manila back to civilization. <laughs> the following day, she said, I'm sorry, there's not a flight. So I said, please, please. No. So it was a day when, far enough ago, that she didn't have a computer at her desk. She had to walk into the computer room. So she goes and she comes back and says, I'm sorry, I can't do it. And I said, well, we talked a while longer. And I said, would you, would you just please? So while she was away this time, 
I'm just sitting there on a chair on this side of the desk, and I put my head on the table, and I'm just saying, Lord, do something. And she came back, and she said, are you all right? And I said, yes. She says, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying that you find a flight. And she said, well, I just come back, and there's no flight. I said, will you go again? And she went again, perhaps the third or fourth time. And she came back with a beaming face, and she says, I just walked in, and there was nothing. And while I watched, two places went off, and I booked them. Hello? It was only a small thing, but it was God. Amen? So he is, shines the light into the darkness of whatever our need is. Christ is our light. The next two I'm going to deal with very quickly. Christ is our food. Experts believe that we can survive without food for up to 60 days with water. But without water, much less. Perhaps 21. And that would depend on what, ladies will understand this more than men, that would depend on what your body mass index is. All right? The average for, for male and female is between 18.5 and 24.9. But we're talking about after you've not eaten for 40 days or 35 days, your body mass index will be 13 point, uh, 13 point, 13. And at 13, your body can't survive. Not that you're going to push it that far. John 6:35, Jesus said, I... I'm the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am what you need to sustain you. He comes, who comes to me will not hunger. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus, quoting from Deuteronomy 8, 3, said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, or every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, a living word. That's why we speak over the living word. Chinese, many times when they're uh, sick, uh, they have very few Bibles. Many of them have only portions of Bibles copied out by hand. But when they're sick and no medicine, they'll take the portion of the Word of God they have and lay in bed and cross to cover their chest with the Word of God that they have and receive healing in a, in a very simplistic way. They're just letting the Word of God be a living word to bring healing. In our sophisticated society, we pick up the phone and we, or we go on the internet and we order our medicine and it comes in the, in the next mail drop and, and we're okay. But there's places in the world that doesn't happen and China is one of those places where believers trust the Lord in an unusual way. In the Old Testament, um, he gave Israel bread from heaven, Psalm 78, 24, that's quoted in John chapter 6. Heavenly bread. This is heavenly bread. Go to it. Eat it every morning. Hide thy word, David said. I'll hide thy word in my heart that I will not sin against you. Man, Water. Water. Without water, survival is less than seven days depending on circumstances, health and temperature of weather around you. 
but less than seven days without water if this high temperature. It varies with all of the other ingredients. John 4, 14, to the woman at the well, Jesus said, this water, this natural water, you drink this, you're going to thirst again. But I will give you water. It will completely satisfy you. You'll never thirst. Why is it that when I was seven, I gave my life to Christ? I've never had the slightest desire for the world or anything that the world resembles to attach me or take me away or attract me away from the persuasive faith that I had as a small child. I just had a little grandson give his life to Christ the other day at 10. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. You look at a graph of when people come to Christ when you see a child saved here, you've saved not just a unit, but you've saved a multiplication table. That child can grow and live and serve God. You save an old, see an old person saved, an older person saved. It's a unit. Not often do they get out and win many people to Christ. Young people have a life to live for Christ. And so that no child, two, seven years old, he's too young, he doesn't understand. I've had people tell me, I don't want my children saved at seven. I don't want them saved at seven. I want them to be intelligent and make a decision. That's all right, they'll make, the, they'll, they'll make it. They need that commitment. Holy Spirit touched them. I remember the Holy Spirit touching me on that Saturday night, the 8th of April, 1944. I cried like a baby at seven. My dad said, John, what's wrong? I said, I need to be saved. I'm going to hell. Playing with my toy. The Holy Spirit just came across me. I remember it just like yesterday. Saved. The light came on and the darkness went out. The divine water flowed in to satisfy. And here I am. 70 years preaching the gospel as of this year. Nothing was untrue about the word. It never failed. Get your young people saved. Get them to a faith in Christ. It'll anchor them for the rest of their life. Don't play around with waiting till they finish university. Water. Number seven. Science tells us that we need affection. Science doesn't call it love, strangely. I read about six or seven different articles, and in every article they talked about affection. They didn't want to get into love, strangely. Now, there are about eight Greek words for love, all right? There are four major Greek words for love, but only one speaks of God's love. That's agape, agape love. Okay, And whenever we think of the world, we're thinking about just affection and friendship and brotherly affection and all that. But when we come to talk about the important, the significant part of love, we're talking about agape love, the love of Christ. They tell us that the absence of affection produces great loneliness. Prolonged loneliness leads to sickness and infirmity, 
and ultimately death. Lack of affection and love induces a, straight, a state of hopelessness. Yeah? So in contrast, God is love. God is love personified. God is agape love, divine love, the essence of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever trusts him should not perish but have everlasting life, John 3, 16. Mark chapter 10, 21, Jesus loved the rich young ruler. John 11, 5, he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Galatians 2, 20, Paul says, he loved me and gave himself for me. 1 John 3, 16, we know he loved us in that he laid down his life for us. Christ who loves us. And finally, hope. Hope. Science says we need hope. If a person is deprived of hope, they lose all, on a prolonged basis, they lose all objectivity. Conversely, hopelessness induces despondency. And hope deferred, Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 13, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Research indicates that hopeful people tolerate pain better than those who are not. Just science says. And it also shows that hopelessness is a strong predictor of our mortality. How long we live depends on our hope to live objectively. Psalms 33, 22 says, Oh, David said, Oh, Lord, our hope is in you. Wow, is, is your hope in him today? Is it? Because the day we move out to the cemetery, decision-making time is over. Too late to put hope in him in the casket. It's got to be done before that. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for you don't know what a day will bring forth. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, God says, I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and hope. Can you receive the hope of Christ this morning for eternal life, life beyond the grave, in his presence forevermore? Romans 15, verse 13, Paul, Paul, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Psalm again, 52. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from you. Truly he is our rock. So in summary, and I'm finished, Christ is our everything. For the air, Christ's the answer. For sleep, Christ's the answer. For shelter, Christ's the answer. For light, Christ's the answer. For food, Christ's the answer. For water, Christ's the answer. For love, Christ's the answer. And for hope, Christ is the answer. When we have Christ, I said earlier, we have everything. And I finish with a story. 
Two boys grew up in a town, on the wrong, one on the wrong side of the track, the poor side, the other one lived in a mansion on the hill as the only son of his very wealthy father. The two boys went to war together and were in a bunker together. The boy from the bad side of town had a talent of sketching with his pen and pencil. And while the rich son was in the foxhole with his gun, the other boy sketched him, etched. The rich boy was killed. The artist boy went home to the town and decided one day, even though it was an amateur sketch, he would take it to the rich father who'd lost his son. Knocked on the door of the mansion, the servant, the black servant answered the door. He was ushered in. Father was grieving, elderly father was grieving. And he offered this sketch of the dead boy. The father received it graciously, and the young man left. A few months later, the father died, fabulously wealthy. Millions of dollars worth of artifacts from all over the world, art of every description. And a catalog was built to sell it off because the only son was dead. People came from all over the world. The auction started. The auctioneer held up the first item, the sketch of the boy. Take it away. Let's get into the, let's get into the catalog. We came all over, from all over the world for this. No, we got to add $100, $50, $25, $10, $5. The old black servant could afford the $5. The old black servant that raised the boy, $5. And he bought it. Pays $5. And everybody said, great, let's get on with the auction. The auctioneer said, auction's over. It's finished. We've come to buy artifacts. We've come to buy Van Gogh, Michelangelo, Auction's over. What? Well, there's a codicil in the old man's will that says, whoever gets the son gets everything. I've been preaching for 45 minutes telling you that everything we need in life is in Christ. He who gets the son gets everything. 